Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orthodox Logos. My name is Ian Silver, and today we are joined by Michael Whitkoff. He is an author of the book On Masons and Their Lies. You can get that on Amazon, and I'm sure probably uh, directly from him would be would be better, right? Uh, yeah, uh, you can get them on Amazon or, or signed uh, directly from me. Perfect. Be beautiful. And then um, he's also a Jewish convert and has become an Orthodox Christian. And today we're going to get into his background, um, you know, his life and his journey through Freemasonry and how that led him to, to Orthodox Christianity. So uh, thank you for being here. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. You know, the, I, I always call myself a Jewish convert. And recently on Gab, <laughs> I'm getting attacked all the time for this. And I can't figure out what people are thinking exactly. When they look at my profile, they see I say Jewish convert to Orthodoxy. And they immediately go, oh, he's a Jew. He's subverting. He's evil. Like they, they're not grasping that I'm the one that typed out my own profile. Like they're acting they like they come the across this. Yeah, but they're acting like they came across this big secret I was trying to hide and they've figured out the truth. I'm trying to explain to them, like when you edit a profile, I myself typed the word in, like you're not discovering <laughs> some big thing, but you know, this, yeah, you, you've, already, not the cream of the you've already exposed yourself. So there's nothing. I did. I did. There's yes, nothing I to expose. Not. Yes, exactly. I'm a Freemason Mossad agent working to undermine Christianity, <laughs> obviously. Hey, it's okay. You're probably That's a KGB, KGB too, right? Garage. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, it comes to the territory. That's how that's how it works in the industry. Well, hey, thank yeah. you. Thank you for being here. And I'm sure you've probably... Thank you for inviting me. Of course. I'm sure you've shared this story on multiple platforms on your own. And I know you did a interview with Allison and mm -hmm. I'm sure you went over some of this stuff. So, you know, I apologize if it's going to be you know, regurgitating things you've already talked about, but I'm sure it's, it's very interesting and people, people love to know this stuff. So why don't you give us a, a little background about yourself, you know, where you grew up sure. and just a little bit about your journey. Sure. And it, it's no problem to tell the same stories. You know, there's new people hearing it every time. And I forgot where it is somewhere in the Bible. Paul, St. Paul says that he's, it's not a trouble to him to write the same thing over and over again. So Amen. I understand what he's talking about. So my background, I grew up in Chicago in a reformed Jewish household, um, not a devout one, but we did all this ceremonial stuff. You know, you have the circumcision, you have the bar mitzvah, uh, you go to temple for the high holidays, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, uh, Sunday school, Hebrew school, all that stuff. Uh, but there was never like Bible reading at home. There was never talking about God. Uh, I was raised with, uh, I would say, a pretty good moral compass in some directions like i was told you know don't steal don't lie tell the truth don't hurt people that kind of thing um there was no idea of like sexual morality though um certainly not any idea that morality derives from god it's just you know how i was raised uh by honest parents and grandparents you know hardworking people yep uh, so I got some some things in the right direction, some things not so much. And usually in Sunday school, I would run away from the services and go to the library in the synagogue and, you know, read books about the Jewish resistance uh, to the Nazis and the Warsaw Ghetto and things that were more interesting to me than sitting in the services because I didn't believe in God. I didn't I didn't care. Uh, it didn't mean anything to me. And so I was just kind of a vague atheist going about my life uh, until I got to college, and then I started doing drugs and that led eventually to some sort of exploration of new agey beliefs even though interestingly enough 
it wasn't necessarily the drugs that made me new agey. It was some of the ideas that I was that I was exposed to in rehab 13 years ago because I did so many drugs. I was getting myself in trouble and decided to go to rehab when I was 21. Uh, when I went to a place, I don't think it's the same name, but it used to be called Second Nature Entrada, uh, based out of St. George, Utah. So it was a wilderness therapy program out in the tri-state area, the Great Basin Desert. I think it was three states that we were, maybe it was two states, Nevada, Utah, going back and forth across the border of the desert. And some of the therapeutic initiatives there were uh, drawn from Native American practices. And I'm not going to say that they didn't help. They helped me a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, like. There's a lot, a lot of those wilderness programs, especially out in that area, have like the Anasazi way. And, you know, there's something is derived from New Age or, or Indian Native American practices, I should say. And so that kind of got me going on that. But it, it wasn't like a serious study of mine until much later. Uh, I have a very long and complicated journey. Um, but it wasn't really till I. So after that, I went back to college in California, graduated, went to work in North Carolina for a while as a field instructor in a wilderness therapy program uh moved from so that so then you started doing what you were a part of yeah yeah because it had helped me a lot so i decided to you know give back and help other people through it too oh. except i worked with younger kids like 13 to 17 years old whereas wow. my program at least my branch of it was voluntary i was an adult i signed myself up for it after that briefly worked in a psych ward in north carolina which is a horrible job i don't recommend to anybody moved to hawaii <laughs> after that and that was really where i think a lot of that spiritual stuff started because the place I was at in Hawaii on the Big Island was very, very pagan. You know, it was uh, I was still a liberal at this time, um, so I, it didn't bother me. There was a lot of gay people there. Like I would, I was in the minority as a straight man in the big group of people. Which you know, I was a sinner and a fornicator. I got, I thought I was having a great time out there. You know, there's only a few straight guys, and all the women were, you know, yeah, wanting you're, intimacy. You were ju and, just as bad. Yeah, really, I was in retrospect. Uh, and it didn't bother me until a couple of the gay guys would start like hitting on me and, and saying inappropriate things. And then it started to bother me. But even then, it wasn't quite like a, it wasn't like an anti-gay thing or anything. It was just like, no. this is really inappropriate. You're making me uncomfortable. But I was exposed to a lot of new agey ideas and Pele, the volcano goddess. And, you know, the what is that Indian elephant thing that they all like? Ganesh? Is that what it's Ganesh, called? Or Ganesh. Yes. Ganesh. So, yeah. you know, I'd be exposed to little ideas like this and UFOs and aliens and and then it wasn't until I got San to San Diego from there that I really started getting deep into this stuff, like researching the Illuminati and the Freemasons and um, energy and Gnosticism and things of that nature, studying Zechariah Sitchin with his completely mm. fabricated Sumerian translations, a Freemason, by the way, Jewish Freemason, Zechariah Sitchin, paving the way for the UFO, uh, the UFO narrative. And so I was reading about all this stuff, Illuminati, Masons, who runs the world, blah, blah, blah. And uh, and every day on the way to and from work, I worked at Greenpeace at the time in San Diego because I was still a hippie, pot smoker, you know, thought I was doing good, raising money for uh, animals. And some some of the stuff they do is good, but overall it's kind of a communist organization now. Yep. But anyway, every day we would it's, pass it's a, big front. a big Freemason Lodge. It really, I mean, they're funded by the Tides Foundation. So exactly. it's like all of these things that seem like grassroots resistance to the establishment, it's always funded by the establishment, right? It's a big game. It's like with Antifa, right? They're basically yep. the paramilitary wing of the FBI, <laughs> pretending to fight the man while being funded and organized by the by man. By the man, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I would always pass by this big lodge, big Scottish Rite building on the way to and from work along the 8 in San Diego uh, in Mission Valley. I've seen that. And one day- It's the big one oh, on, yeah? if, you're, if you're coming into San Diego on the left, like the massive one. 
Well, you'll quadrant. see it from either side, but yeah. yeah right off the highway. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, so one day after work, uh, me and a coworker decided like, hey, let's go check this out. Actually, no, I forgot a piece of the story. Let me go back a little bit. So I was canvassing one day door to door. I started doing, uh, started Greenpeace door to door, eventually went to street sales, which means malls and whatnot. But I was canvassing door to door, which I was actually pretty good at, even though it's not fun. Uh, and a guy had a square and compass on his uh, door jam. And so I was pitching him for Greenpeace and I said, what is this symbol? I said, oh, it's Freemasonry. It's like, oh, I've been reading about that. Like, what is that? And he just said, uh, oh, what was it that he said? I don't think he said it makes good men better. I think he said it's the world's oldest, largest fraternity. It's one of those like catchphrases that they teach yeah, you. But that is another one of their sayings as well. It yeah. takes good men and makes them better. Yeah. Which so that's makes another it sound great. It's like, oh, why, why wouldn't I want to do that? You know? Right, right. The devil appears as an angel of light, St. Paul warns us. Yeah. So he gave me very like cryptic answers. It was obvious there was something he was not telling me, which made me more interested, of course. And then me and my coworker decided shortly afterwards to stop by this lodge, just go inside and see what was up, right? So we go in, we probably smell like pot, wearing our Greenpeace shirts, I have <laughs> long hair, and all the guys in are dressed in suits. So, you know, there's this funny kind of juxtaposition there. And a, an older guy starts talking to me, a guy that ended up I ended up liking the guy a lot. He was a, a friend and mentor to me in the lodge. Uh, and he sat down with me and was telling me a little bit about it. He said, you know, there are uh, three degrees of masonry and then the different dependent bodies have different degrees. And I said, but what about the 33rd? I heard about the 33rd degree. What's all that about? Of course, that's the first question, huh? Yeah, of, of course. And he says, well, the third degree is higher than the 33rd degree. And so that, like, it was like a puzzle. It was like this cryptic code for my brain I didn't understand, but it, it just increase this feeling of curiosity and intrigue and wanting to know more. And so there's all these symbols on the walls. What does this mean? What does this mean? And you only get pieces of answers. I mean, half the time they don't know what the symbols mean either. They're but, still in the dark until they've reached a certain level. Well, and the different people have different opinions of what they mean too. Yeah. Um, like Albert Pike might say one thing that's not agreed upon by another a Masonic author, for example. But there was all, it was like a this giant puzzle of knowledge. Like I could tell there was something there. There was a feeling that you get in the lodge. Like there's something here worth exploring, I thought at the time. So I said, okay, well, how do I sign up? And I said, well, how long have you been in the state? And I think I've been there for nine months because I've just gotten back from Hawaii semi-recently. Um, and they said, well, you have to be in the state for a year to, to join, to be initiated uh, an entered apprentice Freemason, which is the first degree. But they kind of finagled the numbers a little bit and let me join, even though I hadn't been in a state for one continuous year. So I ended up joining. Um, and I honestly, I have nothing bad to say about the experience. Like, and I try to make this really clear in my book, like nothing bad happened to me while I was there. Um, I've heard people lie. say so you have to kill a family member to join or some nonsense like this. This is completely fake. Or you're maybe for some ba baby blood out, of, secret out of skulls and maybe that does happen, but uh, only on Tuesdays. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe it's some secret group at a really high level. They, I mean, maybe they do, maybe it's even probable or likely that they do, but yeah. certainly not to just join basic free, basic level Freemasonry. Um, and so I, I, I loved it. Like I, I never dressed up in a suit, had somewhere to go. It's almost like a replacement for church at that point. Not that I'd ever been to church, but it was like my, what I dress up nice and go on the weekend uh, or during the week. I would start as a Tyler, which was the first officer, which is like you basically set up the lodge, stand outside the door during the degree. So you're not actually inside watching it. Um, and I ended up being an officer in four different groups. Um, I was, um, oh, what was the word for it? Like 
I'm forgetting the word, a prompter for a Scottish okay. right degrees, meaning okay. if the actors during the degree forget their lines, it was a very big room, I would tell them their lines. So I'm reading along with the degree, which is actually was cool because most Masons don't actually know the degrees line by line. Like they're really long and complicated. When you join the Scottish, Scottish right, you see five degrees in a row. Like you don't remember almost any of it. So for me, and I was thrilled. What, I just actually York, have the packets there. Yeah, the so York, there's the York the right, there's the Scottish Shriners. right. They're, those are the main three, yeah. Okay. And there's also a bunch of smaller other groups that are uh, less well-known, but those are the big ones. And I joined okay. the York and Scottish Rite. I never joined the Shrine, though. Okay, and they're the ones who have the hospital, Shriners Children's Hospital, right? Yes. They, they do all these yes. charitable good works. They do. You know, and yeah, that's and that was not, part of the not debatable. They do good things, but what, do. It is, is, yeah. what it is is it's the truth behind all of that, you know? So it's tricky because a lot of Freemasons are just kind of naive, well-meaning Christian guys that don't see any problem between the two, uh, which was why I wrote my book on the Masons and their lies, was to help people realize how incompatible they are. But a lot of the guys there were just normal, you know, family guys with a job that enjoy dressing up and doing these secret rituals and you get your handshakes and your passwords and all that. And having a brother. Uh, they just don't know any better. Yeah, you know, there are 33 degree Masons that would uh, be the piano player for the Methodist church next door, for example. Stuff like that going on. Now there is some, there are some darker people there for sure. It did some dark stuff. Excuse me. There's even entire groups that are considered schismatic Mason groups that you're not supposed to be part of. You're not supposed to go to their meetings. Almost the way, like if you're an Eastern Orthodox Christian, you're not supposed to go to like a Coptic Orthodox liturgy or Ethiopian. Jewish uh, service. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of this whole parallel hierarchy and religious structure, um, and they're very careful not to preach any monolithic view of theology that's, or politics that's what i was going to ask who is their god because i know they uh they refer to mm -hmm. him as the grand architect but yeah you can be um you can be any i think it's the blue lodge is where you can be any nationality well you can be any nationality period even though that wasn't always the case like can you even be blacks a couldn't join masonry for a long time there are some there uh, so what they tell you is that you have to believe in a supreme being and an afterlife yes and the g and stands you for sure grand architect not god right it depends who you ask. So okay, it could stand so for grand architect. Go. It could stand for generative power, um, an occult uh, sort of concept. Uh, if as long as you believe in a supreme being in an afterlife, or at least you say you do, you know there are mm -hmm. atheists there that have just lied to get in, uh, and then they they send some interrogators or investigators to your house first to make sure you're not a, a complete criminal. Talk to your um, wife. Yeah, stuff like that. You know, what do you do for a living? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, most of them are just nice guys. Like, I liked almost all the guys that I met. They were my friends. It was my social circle. So I always try to stress, like, I didn't leave because of some weird encounter that I had. I left specifically because I started studying the philosophy more deeply. So you, who you their god the is. Yeah, so who their god is depends on which one you ask. Mm -hmm. Some of them will say the grand architect is the Christian god. Some will say it's the Muslim god. Like, it's designed so that whatever you are, you can kind of adapt its language to support your own belief system. But that in and of itself is a belief system of theological relativity. So they don't preach monolithic theology, and yet at the same time they do, that monolith being relativity, right? Being ecumenism or perennialism really is the yeah. more accurate word. And ecumenism is kind of an offshoot of perennialism. We're all taking the, idea the same path home. Right. One light, many paths. You know, the idea being that there's one, one true religion and all the outer expressions are just uh, different versions for different people at different times. Like they would say, some might say, for example, 
it was the same that gave Christianity to the Christians and Islam to the Muslims because that's better suited for that type of person than Christianity. Nonsense like that. Yeah. So that's perennialism is that they're all, it's all pointing to the same place. But if you actually study any of these religions in any meaningful detail, they're wildly incompatible. It's very obvious they're not the same God, right? The Muslim description of the afterlife is like a 15 year old boy's fantasy with all these virgins and wine and, and things like that. That's not the same as the Christian afterlife, which is a place of purity and uh, experience and encounter with God for eternity. Very, very different. And even coming down so, to like, you know, basic theology, well, not basic theology, because the Trinity is not basic when you really get down to it. But stuff like right. that's completely different to the Mormons, to the to the Muslims. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I mean, even amongst groups that call themselves Christians, that word yeah. means a thousand different things. When someone says, do you consider Protestants Christian? I say, well, it depends on the person, really. Like, yeah. I don't know what they believe just because they call themselves a Christian. That could mean you're a Unitarian or it could mean you're a modalist or you're a Gnostic might call themselves Christian. I don't know if you saw my debate with Marty Leeds. He, he thinks yeah. he's a Christian. So, you know, that word doesn't mean anything in and of itself unless I know what it means to the person I'm speaking to. Yeah. On an individual about. basis. Yeah. Yeah, so now, what I would like... say, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, in regards to who's a Christian, and I, I, to be clear, I haven't like read this in the Fathers or Saints. This is purely my own opinion. My own opinion is that the closer you get to the truth, the more grace you'll have. So, for example, if an atheist fornicator, which I was for so long, stumbles across the Bible because a Protestant gave him a Bible, reads the book of Proverbs, and starts changing his behavior to uh, align with that, there is a lot of grace that comes with that because I'm getting closer to the truth, right? I'm not going to say God's not guiding me because obviously if I'm reading this and changing my life, there's some amount of grace there. But that's not the same as being an Orthodox Christian partaking of the mysteries and living a life of fasting and uh, saintly intercessions and divine liturgy yeah. and akathis. It's a different thing, but I, I would say that God is drawing us all to the full truth and people will embrace it to varying degrees. And if they stop at a certain level, then that's kind of as much grace as they're going to get. If they keep going, it's more and more until obviously the complete fulfillment of that is full theosis. You become a can, uh, not canonized doesn't make a difference for whether you're a yeah. saint or not, but you become a saint and then you are just one with God is the highest degree, right? Of, yep. of grace and of truth. Um, I'm hoping I get there someday. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying, but yeah, so that's kind of how I see if someone is someone a Christian, I think it depends how, how serious they are about seeking the truth. I think it also, like you said, it has to do with not just saying you believe it, but how you live your life based yeah. on that. You could say, oh, I believe this, but if you're not living your life based on that belief, then, you know, do you truly believe that? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there are even pastors like Stephen Anderson who will call themselves a Christian, but then if you listen to their quote sermons, it's horrifying. Uh, who tells his audience, as long as you're saved, you can go commit murder and adultery and you'll be fine because you can't lose your salvation. So that's not a Christian, even though most of what leaves his mouth is scripture verses are talking about Christianity. It's an inversion, so. just like Kenneth Copeland and totally. you see people like that, the prosperity totally. gospel. You know, yeah, you give a God, different you give kind God, of inversion, but yeah. Yeah, you give God a dollar, you give God a dollar and he'll give you a thousand, you know, and that's, yeah, that's, it's a little, little tricky. Yeah. If that were so, true, his audience would be richer than he is. <laughs> Copeland is significantly yeah. wealthier than these They'd people. They'd be are. taking their private planes to see him. Mm -hmm. So were you, exactly. um, we'll go, we can go back to what you were saying, but were you involved in, you know, any like Gnosticism prior to, oh, yeah. prior to uh, being a Freemason? And I know that has, that has quite a lot to do with the, with like, you know, the start of Freemasonry, right? So I was really getting into the Sumerian stuff, particularly uh, which is a kind of Gnosticism, like 
I mean, there was a lot of, I mean, obviously I was high out of my mind at the time when I was doing this because, you know, after rehab, I was sober for a while, eventually relapsed back into it. Uh, you know, reading these, uh, the Sitchin stuff and some other stuff, thinking that humanity was this group of slaves created by the Anunnaki to help them mine gold <laughs> to send back to Planet X or Nibiru and all that nonsense. You would have fit so in really well in Sedona. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I've heard nothing but, yeah, similar about Sedona. Yeah. A lot of my Hawaii friends were really into Sedona. It's like uh, um, they're they're kind of going back and forth between Hawaii and Sedona. I noticed that a lot. Well, there you go. There you go. Um, but I hadn't like studied Gnosticism specifically before I started getting into Masonry. And that was when I got exposed to more and I got really interested in Kabbalah and stuff like that. I mean, I was giving lectures on Kabbalah, on Baphomet, uh, on Hermeticism to the Masons. I mean, there's different groups. Some groups are more casual. You just kind of show up, give each other some cool lectures, hang out. Uh, so that was what I started getting into. And I started doing uh, sorcery on my own practice as well at home as like an individual practitioner. I never joined a group of magic people, so to speak, but I would learn from different groups or different individuals uh, with sigil magic and, you know, creating Alchemy. spirits and putting them in crystals. Yeah, that kind of thing, uh, which I was very convinced was like the truth of how to attain our lost power that the these evil religions try to keep us from knowing the truth yeah. of how powerful we are. But at the end of the day, all the occult teaches is just that you're God. It's really yeah. quite simple and stupid at the end of the day, but they use very complicated, glittery, sophisticated sounding language to arrive at this very basic, obvious lie. Um, and then once I started becoming Christian, I was already in Mason when I started becoming Christian. So there was a long period of uh, trying to like have one foot on both sides of the fence, so to speak, where I considered myself a Gnostic Christian for a while. I was really into the Cathars, for example, that kind of uh, mid medieval group that, uh, was you know they kind of wiped out by the catholics but they were living very uh moral lives or so they would say you know they were horrified by all the wealth and power of the catholic church uh so they kind of started in opposition to that and they were dualists too which i yeah. thought was accurate at the time and I, I think there's a big connection between being unhappy and being agnostic by which i mean <laughs> the more miserable you are the more willing you are to believe that some sort of evil demon created the world right yeah. It just and kind of goes with the territory. And so like um, the Orthodox perspective from, from what I understand of Gnosis, you know, is uh, it's divine and human, you know, it's coming together of yeah. two realities, heaven and earth. And yeah. the, Gnos the Gnostic view is, it's like a separation of that in, in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, they believe the separation of Christ as divine and human, or sometimes you even see that he didn't even fully exist, that he was like a, a ghostly figure. Right, right. Yeah. Which is ironic because, you know, the Bible specifically writes against that. That's why St. John, the apostle, was always talking about um, sensory experiences of Christ, whom whom we have seen with our own eyes, whom we have touched. Yeah, he couldn't he's walk saying through that walls. He's writing, right. He's saying that because he's writing against the Gnostics yeah. or the Docetists who were saying that Christ was some divine phantom or hologram without a physical body. Uh, so it's just like a reiteration of literally one of the oldest heresies that exists. That's and I... And would you agree that uh, the basic principles of Freemasonry and uh, would be like irreconcilable in the church? You know, like you can't be both if, you know, if you're going to be a Christian. I would say you can't be both. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of overlap in the moral teaching, you know. Because you can't idea. take communion if you're a Freemason in the Catholic church, or I don't even think we allow Freemasons in the Orthodox church. There's maybe there's not a way not to go all to the be. time. Yeah. I mean, they're not supposed to be, but there are a lot of Masons, both in the Catholic Church and in the Orthodox Church. 
Uh, some archdioceses have written against Masons and, and yeah. talked about why it's wrong, like Russia has, uh, Antioch has not. I think Cyprus did. I don't know if Goarch ever has. Uh, well, um, but there are some overlaps. Like, so for example, the Christian concept of the old man and the new man, right? Yeah, the old Adam and the new surface, Adam. Well, no, for us as individuals, I'm saying. As individuals, okay. Is there's somewhat of a superficial overlap between the Masonic idea, between that and the Masonic concept of the rough and perfect Ashler, meaning mm -hmm. a rough stone that needs to be, have its rough edges kind of sanded off and hewn off until it's nice and smooth and can fit in well with the rest of the building or the temple of humanity. Like there's some moral overlap, right? Because Christians would also say we start off kind of rough, sinful, uh, falling into temptation, and then Christ perfects us over time and we're healed of our wounds that lead to the bad behavior and eventually we engage in theosis. But it's very it's a very superficial difference because for Masons, it's it's like... Uh, Your brotherhood uh, does that for you. Yeah, it's more like behavior modification than yeah. any sort of deep ontological purification. change. Right, right, right. Wow. But overall, they're not compatible. And I think yeah. anyone who's serious about studying both of them will quickly realize that. And that's the whole point of my book is that I wanted to make this, I mean, it's a very short, I, I made it as easy to read as I possibly could this complex topic, a short, relatively straightforward, easy read. So that once you're, well, by the time you're done with it, there's no question about whether these two are compatible. I mean, masonry is its own separate religion. There's no question about it. And the more deeply you understand it, the more obvious that becomes. Yeah, I, um, I have family. Uh, one of my favorite people in the world, he, he's a Freemason in England, you know, and it's always been confusing to me because I know a lot of the things that we're speaking about and I knew them and he came over from England and we went to the Grand Master's house here in Arizona. Mm. Crazy mm. house, artifacts, stuff that I, stuff that belonged in a museum, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And he was I'm very sure. ad adamant about me becoming a Mason and, in and invited me and called me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I would just always mm. ignore his phone calls. And even I'm not going to give his exact address, but it was something, something devils, something like he lived on a street oh. that was devils, something. And I, I remember showing up beautiful house, beautiful, you know, young wife. Um, I, I brought my kid with me cause I was with my grandfather and he was like, Oh, mm. we love, we love little kids. And I just got like this, uh -oh. we I just got this weird weird vibe. So I went almost as like a way to, you know, for discernment because I had already known, yeah, yeah. but I was curious. I was like, maybe this isn't what I'm thinking it is. And then as soon as I left, I was like, I think this is what I think it yeah. is, you know? Yeah. And I he, mean, he even said, he said, we, he, before I didn't even give him my address and he's like, we know where you live. I've moved since, but he's like, oh yeah, we know where you live. You know, we know where mm -hmm. you work. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, they're not even supposed to be recruiting, but yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I'm, I'm glad that you realized there's something wrong. I guess wrong. it has and something you, to do with you're discerning, you can feel it. that there's something off about it. Like yeah. a, a feeling that something is not right here. Yeah. So let's, let's go back to, I know we kind of got off a little bit, but it was great. I, I, let's go back to, mm -hmm. so you became an, uh, it's not an initiate. Is it, what's it called? What's the first? I would say a candidate or initiate would also okay. work. And then the second degree is fellow craft. Isn't that, am I, yes. am I right about that? So how Correct. does, how long between being, a first degree and a second degree. Can it happen in a matter of days, weeks, months? I want to say there's at least a month between because basically you have to pass what's called, oh, I'm blanking on the word, it starts with a C. Basically, when you become a Mason, whatever degree you're at, they give you a little book that explains the whole ritual you just went through, but in coded language, it's in symbols. Mm -hmm. And you have to sit down with someone who explains to you what word each symbol represents. 
And then in order to go from one degree to the next, you have to be examined and repeat a big section of it that you've learned from the symbols and memorized. So they ask you like, a bunch of questions. It's a test, right? A memorization test. Um, and I saw people pass it that got a lot of it wrong and they just didn't care and passed them anyway. Proficiency, it didn't start with C. It's called okay. passing a proficiency. Um, and so that can take, I mean, you could do it in a week, but I don't think they would want you to move you through that quickly. Some people do go through very quick. Joseph Smith, who founded the Mormon faith. Um, money as well. Faith. I guess it's called faith. Money and land, He was right? rushed through. Well, different people have different circumstances, but he was rushed through all three degrees very quickly, turns around, starts mm -hmm. Mormonism. I think I went maybe three or four months between my original initiation and then being a master mason, at which point you can then join the appendant bodies, the York Rite, the Scottish Rite, Shriners, and other things of that nature. Okay. Wow. And then, so you became a master mason. And yeah. then during this, um, you can also join other, I don't know what you would call them, groups within the Masonic Lodge. And what, what are yeah. some of those besides like the Scottish, the York, and the Shriner? Because I know Knights Templar is, and you have so to be a Mason to be Knights Templar. That's part of the York, right? Okay. The and they, Templar. okay. Well, can you explain anything about that? Um, that's kind of always been an interest, sure. interest to me because, you know, it's such an epic, it's got an epic historical background and people think it's like this, you know, like brutal, there's like a brutal, brutalness to it, you know, but I'm sure it's changed so over time. So the York Rite is composed of three smaller bodies called, man, I forgot what the first one was called. It's been a long time since I've thought about this stuff. The second <laughs> one was the Cryptic Council or something, something with the word cryptic in it, but the Cryptic Council of Royal and Select Masters. I think that's what the second one is called. And then the third one is the Commandery of the Knights Templar. So in the Knights Templar, it's a very expensive group. If you buy all the costumes, like there's a sword, like a dress sword and a big hat with a feather in it and all kinds of silly larpy stuff did you do all of that it's, no i didn't pay all that i that was i never became an officer in that group okay. uh, it's the only degree where they mention christ or the name jesus i think it's the only time they actually use his name that i remember in any masonic degree are they referring to a different jesus though well they would tell you no but i'm sure some of the individuals are and some of them are not um and so that group i thought was going to be really cool because like you were saying, there's like this history of the Knights Templar. Yeah, and then it like was epic. literally the most boring, the most boring group in <laughs> all of Masonry. Like they just have a, an expensive dinner once a month or once every other month. Uh, but, but you got to understand the way Masonry works is there are people there looking to recruit others into smaller, quiet or less public groups. So they have spies, for lack of a better word, like the public front of what did the Knights Templar do? Like I was never pulled into anything deep from that group. So I don't know what that leads to that you're screened through. There were other groups that I was pulled into. That was not one of them. So maybe there isn't one there, maybe there is. Um, but you, I definitely got the vibe. There's people that overlap with like government stuff and intelligence community stuff. I have no evidence of that, but sometimes you just get a vibe from people. Um, not that that's well, again, evidence of anything. Well, we know but that, I, you know, I, I like most, most of the presidents have been Masons, you know, a lot of the people yeah. that, that run the media. Yeah, skull and bones exactly, and you have to be a mason to be skull and bones, obviously as well. Mm. Um, so so what about you? Spoke about uh, like Baphomet, and I know they have a lot mm -hmm. of. There's a uh, Baphomet and Moloch are very prevalent in in Masonic. Um, I never heard anything about Moloch. 
You did. I never heard anything about it. Mm -mm. Okay, cool. Because they're trying very hard not to offend you. So Baphomet, again, is not mentioned in in any Masonic degree that I ever saw. Uh, I gave a lecture on Baphomet, just breaking down the symbolism of the sun and moon and the male and female body. And the one hand pointed up and the other hand pointed down and salve at coagula tattooed on the arms. It's just an alchemical symbol. Um, I don't think Baphomet was like worshipped as a deity like some people think. It's really just... uh, symbolic communication of a bunch of different alchemical and occult concepts like as above, so below, union of opposites, all that. So I mean, I give a lecture on that. When I was still a Mason, I wrote a book um, that was pro-Masonry, actually, that was showing the diff- or the combination, I can't get my words right, showing the commonalities between, between astrology and alchemy and Kabbalah. You can't buy the book anymore. I unpublished it. Uh, I think I burned the last copy, actually. So there might be no more copies <laughs> well, in existence God. besides people who bought it. Yeah. Um, but I never saw, like, Baphomet was never mentioned in a degree. Um, Moloch was never mentioned in a degree. And I saw uh, 31 of the Scottish Rite degrees. I, you become a 32nd degree on your first day. So it's kind of meaningless. Yeah, that's, but, that's what I that's uh, what I heard. I, it does, most people wouldn't know that. They think it's like, you know, after 10 no. years. No, in some countries it is. In some countries you have to wait, I want to say six months between Scottish Rite degrees. But in America, at least in the Southern jurisdiction for Masonry, uh, I went to Oklahoma. I forgot the name of the town, some little tiny town in Oklahoma with a gigantic Scottish Rite lodge that probably had 95% of that town's wealth inside with paintings and statues and stuff. Wow. Um, and yeah, I they saw like collecting they, they a do lot all 32 like degrees. Oh, Guthrie. That was the name of the town, Guthrie, Oklahoma. Uh, they did all 32 degrees in a row there. Uh, I was just so tired. I was asleep through one of them in the car. I don't remember which one, maybe the 16th or the 9th or something. Uh, so what I saw, I never saw any mention of Baphomet or Moloch. Okay. But I mean, I've, I've, ser- I've seen things where it is, it is mentioned, but like you said, there's different sects, you know, like you could, maybe yeah. that was, maybe that was in something else that you didn't, you didn't get involved. So there's in other all. groups. There's a bunch of groups that call themselves Masons that are more, in the Masonic term, operative rather than speculative, meaning there's a, a group called the Rite of Memphis Misraim that is what Alistair Crowley came out of that actively teaches the practice of sorcery, which mainstream Freemasonry does not. So if you've, maybe they do stuff like that there, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. You're not supposed to go to that if you're a regular Mason, uh, but I think a lot of people probably do anyway. But I'm just talking about the mainstream Masonry that I was a part of. Okay. What about, um, did you, did you see anything like I've, I've heard about Amorph? Do you know what Amorph is? Yeah, I was part of Amorph. What, oh, what is, what is that exactly? What does that have to do with it? It's like the, it's Rosicrucian, so is isn't the, it? It is. It's the ancient mystical order of the Rose Cross. It's basically an online Rosicrucian ministry mm-hmm. where anyone who pays the fee can sign up and then you get these, um, pamphlets for lack of a better phrase, digital pamphlets sent to you, I want to say once a month with like a teaching on how the world works or how the human brain works and a meditation to do and a ritual to do. In fact, when I was pulled into the Masonic Rosicrucians, I had to leave Amorc because they they said, you can't be part of any other group that uses the word Rosicrucian if you want to join us. Hmm. And I really, I really wanted to join. That was like, I was thrilled to be invited into this group that is not a public group. It doesn't have a popular household name. And that's very Gnostic. Extremely. That's where you will hear Kabbalah and alchemy, like talked about sorcery, uh, talked about much more openly. Do they teach it in that class and not that class, but do they teach you stuff there specifically? So they do publish material for other members of that group that goes pretty in in depth on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wow. 
And but did you learn it there? Or did you learn it on your own? Because you said that you, you know, no, I learned it on my own. On your own, I know uh, David Patrick yeah, Harry, and I wasn't in that group for very long. And David Patrick Harry talks about it in one of his videos how he, you know, mm -hmm. did the whole thing, putting the money on the ceiling or whatever, turning a dollar into a thousand dollars, and you know, oh, like yeah. doing things to to make that happen. Other things we won't mention. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Uh, I was only in that group for a short while because by that point I had already become. I'd already started going to a Protestant church and I was, that was kind of my last hope for masonry was like, okay. Cause they told you that they told me to join. I had to be a, a Trinitarian Christian to join that group. Weird. Or maybe it was hmm. the, uh, maybe it was the Knights Templar. That, no, it was the Knights Templar. I had to be, they said I had to be a Trinitarian Christian and I lied and said that I was, but for this group, you had to be a Christian. And at that point I'd already started going to church. So I was like, okay, now I am telling the truth about this now uh, because they said, when I joined the Knights Templar, like if you're not Trinitarian Christian, I think this was a long time ago and I was smoking weed at the time. So forgive my bad memory on this. I think it was either you have to be a Trinitarian Christian or at least agree to protect and defend Trinitarian Christians. So even though I said, well, I'm, I'm Jewish, they still let me in. You're like, this yeah, group, I'll, you had I'll, to actually profess Christianity. Right. This group, you had to actually profess Christianity to be a Masonic Rosicrucian. And so I was really hopeful. It's like, oh, good. There are Christians in Masonry. And then you get there and it's just all sorcery, all occultism. And so that was kind of very disheartening. And that was one of the last groups that I was interested in that when I saw the truth of it, helped my decision to leave Masonry. Cause I was like, okay, this is not what I was looking for. I'm trying to become a Christian. This isn't what I thought it was. Um, it was an interesting group. Like it was kind of an honor to be invited into it. Lots of very smart people there, but smart with worldly wisdom, not with spiritual wisdom, sadly. Um, but yeah, you gotta leave Amwork to join that. So they told me. And then that was your first time, what, stepping into a church in years? Ever. Ever. When I started going to oh, yeah, church. Yeah, because yeah, you, you, know, you came from a Jewish background. So yeah. you went to, you went to yeah, synagogue yeah. as growing up, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So what was your experience um, you know, transitioning from being a Freemason to, to a Protestant? They're both, you know, can be, can be deceptive mm -hmm. in their own way. Well, I... Basically, a friend of mine that had been praying for me for years, once I told her I was interested in going to church with her, she brought me to a, a Wesleyan church in San Diego. And Which is non-denominational, yeah. or is that a denomination? I think they would consider themselves Wesleyan denominationally. Okay. Me, I mean, they don't get into deep theology or anything. But, yeah, no, they don't you know, go into theology church. Theology-wise, it's or... very similar. No, but it was similar to orthodoxy in terms of the basic theology. So it wasn't a huge leap, even though I wasn't a Trinitarian at the time when I started going. And that would take me a while, actually. Um, the sermon that was given by the pastor, uh, it was like God was talking to me through him. And I, but by that, I mean the idea of sin and its consequences had never been explained to me in a way that actually struck me and made me realize the connection between my own behavior and the outcomes that I was getting. And then it was so powerful that I just never stopped going um, until I became Orthodox, which was a couple of years later. And for a while, you know, I would go to church after a Masonic meeting. So I would show up with my Masonic jewelry on, my lapel pin, my ring. And they didn't and say anything. A couple times. Well, a couple people did. A couple people told me that stuff is of the devil, that stuff's evil. And I said, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's just propaganda. In retrospect, they were right, of course. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I would go with my with my bling, wearing my suit, looking all fancy and whatnot. Um, and I started reading the scriptures, obviously, by that point, and just trying to learn more about it and slowly becoming, joining the social circle of that church. You know, I, I put myself on the welcoming committee 
no one asked me to be. I would just stand at the door and greet people because um, I wanted to meet people and help. You know, I wanted to volunteer. That's how I met uh, Senator Michelle Bachman. Was she a senator or a congressperson? One of those things. She had a connection to that church. So I met her there. We had actually had a great conversation about uh, Alice Bailey and externalization of the hierarchy and the occult wow. foundations of the United Nations. Yeah, she knows more than you might <laughs> think about that stuff because she was on her way to go start a ministry in the UN and I wanted to make sure that she um, understood what she was getting into and she definitely did. And I had a great time at that church. I really loved the people. I'd never been around Christians before at all. I guess I'd been around one Christian when I worked at Greenpeace, uh, a friend who has sadly since fallen away from the faith. Uh, after uh, his marriage didn't work out the way he was hoping, but um, yeah, I just they were all so friendly and welcoming, and but I was very like only a toe in the water at the time. I was like, how how can you work at a church and just talk about Jesus all day? Like, okay, I have my Jesus time like half an hour on Sunday, and then I have a life to live, you know? Like, and then you're separate your, boxes. Your Mason, your Mason time. Right, right. So it was all very compartmentalized. Whereas now, you know, for for the Orthodox, our life is supposed to be just one big holistic worship service to God and internally, ideally. And we're and not supposed to have our Jesus time speak. here and then our life here, you know. Your whole life is orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're all working on that one one day exactly. at a time, ideally. Uh, I know I certainly have a very long way to go. And every every Amen. day I learn more ways from failing to live up to my professed ideal. Because uh, I think if God showed you how evil you were all at once, you would just cease to exist you would just die of depression immediately yeah. so he only shows you a little bit at a time so you can like work on it and heal it and whatnot um which but is sometimes even even then it's, it's it's more than we can handle you know in in moments but. yeah yeah it, sometimes it is i mean my my priest just gave a great talk last night uh about this these moments where god shows you just how evil you truly are and i was like yeah i'm, I'm familiar with that process <laughs> and the funny thing is every time every time you get over one of those you're, you're like okay I've solved my problems. I'm a good Christian now. And God's like, oh, really? Let me show you another layer of the selfishness and the pride and the wickedness and the greed in, in your heart. And it's just a lifelong process, you know. And I, I, that is a, a level of depth that I never approached in the Protestant. So, I mean, I got yeah. baptized in that Protestant church, Trinitarian baptism. Great time there. I mean, I am in great debt to those Protestants. They taught me how to love God taught me how to read the scriptures, you know, maybe not with the correct patristic exegesis, but I mean, I didn't, I couldn't have told you the apostles names when I started going there. I didn't know anything about this stuff. And they were so pious and zealous. Like I, I learned a great deal from them. They, they really inspired a love of Christ in me that has stuck with me, even though I'm, I'm no longer going there. And, you know, I tried to go back to, so that pastor that really converted me, um, he ended up leaving that church to go start a new one, which has since blown up. And I wanted to go support him, even though I was now Orthodox. This was like a mega church a year ago, not a mega church, uh, just but a big. local one. But it, I mean, it, I mean, he gets a lot of new people coming and they okay. get a lot of money. Um, I went there to go support him at the grand opening. And I think I made it 10 minutes through the worship music. And I just laughed and went to my Orthodox church. I was like, I cannot do this. You know, I was trying to do a good thing, but it comes, it's so saccharine, their worship yeah. music. Um, it's so sweet and kind of, you just left a bad taste in my mouth. Like once you yeah. have the reverence of the divine liturgy, you can't go back to the rock and smoke show. And I always say it's, it's very uh, like live, laugh, love Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's this, right. And I still, yeah, I, I still love that guy, you know, but yeah. couldn't do it. I, I went to a, one of uh, my Orthodox brothers. It's actually my fiance's godfather. He did a, a little 
I guess you could call it a sermon at a, on mm. campus for, you know, mm. Christians on campus. And he talked about, I think you have a video kind of titled this, his wasn't titled this exactly, but if God good, why evil exist? Like you have like a, funny, Oh, if God good, why bad thing happened? Why yeah. bad thing happened? Yeah. So he did this whole, yeah. you know, hour long thing and it was beautiful. He did it from an Orthodox perspective and you could kind of see like their minds were like blown. And at the end he mm. goes, uh, do you, do you mind if I, I pray? And, you know, in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit, and he does the mm. Lord have mercy. And, and it awesome. was just different. It was different because when we first got there, you know, he said, Oh, I start at seven o'clock. We get there at seven. It's like 45 minutes of worship mm. music. And mm -hmm. me and my fiance and my godmother are in the front row because we wanted to be up close, but we're the only ones sitting. You know, everybody else got mm. hands up. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, How I long have you been engaged for? Um, three years. You got a wedding date? Fe February 18th. Congratulations. Thank is you. Your, Congratulations your... to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm in, <laughs> in month two right now. <laughs> there is... is your child with this fiance or with somebody else? Uh, previous. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Does she have any kids too? No, um, not yet. That's something we'll be working on after, after marriage. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on it too. I'm working on it too. Yeah. So, but yeah uh, we you, we you found the faith there, together. The fiance? I do. I do. You do live with her. Okay. Yeah. Well, you'll have That's... a little bit less of a shock to your lifestyle. <laughs> than I yeah. Have. So you did. You're already used to living with someone. No, I've never even lived with a girlfriend before. Wow. Yeah. So this was a lot. So we got married. Who's the messy one? Me. <laughs> by far so we got married and moved states five days later so we kind of lived like a year year it feels like about two years in the first month um so we had a lot of and then our priest was sick with covid in another state quarantine when we got to our new place so we didn't have a priest for the first two weeks in the middle of being a newlywed couple in a new state so we wow. had a lot of uh yeah a lot of stuff to endure and figure out i don't out. know why i'm glitching out like that do you see that i do i do see it yeah I wonder what that is. We'll see if it stops. Did it stop? Yeah, strange. Okay. There we go. Yeah, marriage is uh, very edifying, and you know, it's like it's a, a form of mar you're, you're martyrdom. Mirrors. I've heard that as well. Totally. You know. Totally. You become mirrors for the other person, and sins will be revealed in your heart through marriage that you would have never seen otherwise. So it's really like salvation on fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> is she Orthodox as well? Oh, of course. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So you had, you had, we a, got married like a month and a half ago. Cool. So you had an Orthodox wedding or, a, you know, a sacramental mm -hmm. wedding. How was that? Yeah. That experience? Yeah. It's awesome. The crowning. I mean, honestly, my wedding was like a perfect day start to finish. And I have friends that had a horrible wedding day. Um, our engagement day was perfect. Our wedding day was perfect. The crowning ceremony was awesome. Sadly, our priest got injured. So it was his assistant priest that did our wedding, but a sacrament's a sacrament. Yep. Doesn't matter who's doing it as long as they're a, a valid priest. Yep. Uh, and then we had our decrowning ceremony a couple of weeks ago, which you're supposed to do eight days after hmm. the crowning ceremony. Is there a reason um, for the eight? Is this symbolic to something? I'm still not sure what the symbolism of the decrowning or the uncrowning is. Because um, I know there's a lot of, you know, like the 40 days, the baby gets baptized 40 days or yeah. entry into the church 40 days. And yeah, I, I'm I not, think that, I'm not sure that has exactly to do with about. that has to do with Christ walking through the desert for 40 days, I believe. Like right. his uh, in the wilderness? Yeah, I think that's... Well, think 40 that's, is a very common number. You had 40 days of rain in the days of Noah, 40 years 40 of days wandering of Lent. with Moses and the Israelites. Yeah, 40 days of Lent. 40 is a common number. I'm not sure what the decrowning is the about, means. but, you know, it's another ceremony. Um, so, yeah, it went great. And then it's been a lot of adjustment. You know, I've, I've lived alone for... Or not, not alone, but without, like I said, in my house ever 
Um, so getting used to someone else and sharing space and stuff. I'm definitely the messy one because, you know, I'm, when I'm a guy, when I was a bachelor, like I throw clothes on the floor and just who cares? That's where they'll be Me the too. next day. Me too. Yeah, that, that doesn't There's fly probably anymore. Some, probably some over there, you know. There might be. There might be. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's cool. So, it's cool. So and how was your, how was your move? Fun flesh. You know, it went really a lot smooth. all at once, you know, you know, yeah. getting married, moving. They say those are yeah. some of the most stressful things that you can do. Yeah, you did, did you did them all at time. once. That's crazy. I did. Uh, the, the actual move went really smoothly. We're still working on finding a permanent place to live. We got some things in the works, though. Please keep us in your prayers if that works out. Uh, we've just been Airbnb hopping, you know, which is not fun. I mean, I, I've had more stress moving from one Airbnb to another than I did moving yeah. from one state to another. You got to pack up all your stuff again and do all this. And then I like, we spent five hours moving and then I went to work right after. It's just like, I haven't, we haven't really had a, I think we've had one day to just chill since we got married or since wow. the honeymoon, I should say. I one bet you day can't wait, just, wait to have like anything. your icon wall set up and. Oh yeah. I mean, most of our icons are in storage, but we have a couple of great ones. Uh, a couple of Saints Peter and Favronia that actually Jay Dyer and his wife got us one of those icons. I didn't know who they were. It's this beautiful diptych. We looked at the story, loved it. This married couple that ended up becoming monastics in their elder years, which is an idea that my wife Liv played living around separated. With. Yeah, but after they've already had kids and grandkids, have done all their worldly business, uh, going off to be a monk and a nun, but near each other though. And the cool thing about their story is they can so still see monks each other. Can't be buried in the same coffin. Yeah, they can hmm. still see each other. Monks can't be buried in the same coffin together. So Saint Peter and Favronia buried separately. But then when they looked at the relics to see if they were incorrupt, they were in the same tomb. So they separated the bodies and then they looked later and they're in the same tomb again. So they were wow. rejoining each other after death. Yeah, which is beautiful, you know? So that's kind of an idea that we've had. Um, we got a long way to go, certainly, before we would be ready for that. But I think it would be <laughs> cool, you know, get the full Orthodox experience. You got the marriage and the kids and then also the monasticism. Like wow. life is so short, right? We never even know if we got another day of life. Doesn't matter how old we are. So this is just kind of a long-term spiritual fantasy, I suppose. Fantasy. That's awesome, way. though. But yeah, uh, so we do have some icons, um, but we we're looking forward to having a real icon wall. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll be praying for you and hoping that you know you end up where where God wants you to be. But Thank let's you. see. I, I wanted to see if we could maybe touch on some other things as far as as far sure. as your as far as your faith. Um, yeah. Do you have was there anything that really solidified the faith for you? I know you said that mm -hmm. um, you had that experience with the Protestant pastor who was really speaking to you. You know, you felt as if God mm -hmm. was speaking to you. What about anything yeah. that really solidified your faith? What was it like your first time, you know, entering an Orthodox church? Do you remember that? Was it, what jurisdiction was it? That was Greek. The first Greek? time I walked in. Cool. Um, so where were you baptized? I, in, in Goarch. Cool. I'm, I'm not there anymore, but I was baptized go orange. Yeah. Um, I remember I felt like I'd stepped into the ancient world. Um, there was something really beautiful about it. And I was also really scandalized by the icons because, you know, second commandment violation, Protestant stuff. Right. <laughs> um, and I didn't, and it's not like you can understand orthodoxy from outside. I mean, maybe no. arguably not even from inside, but no, certainly not, not for from a outside. long time. No. So, you know, you see people bowing down in front of an icon and kissing it like idolatry if you're coming from a protestant background and i was so horrified by that and i didn't understand why there was like no emphasis on sermons at all like i think my first service was a vespers i was like where's the sermon you yeah. know i didn't get it 
Uh, but there was something about it that really kind of, I felt like I got bit by the orthodox bug. Like, okay, I have yeah. to study more. And even part of it was like, okay, I have to prove that this, what they're doing is idolatry. And I would study and study. And I was like, oh, oh, it's not idolatry. So kind of like I was trying to, in trying to disprove that, I convinced myself of it. Um, and then what really solidified it for me, at least for the orthodox thing, was I'd seen Father Josiah Trenum's videos and loved them. Yeah. And in San Diego, I was only an hour and a half from his church. So I emailed him, I'd like to meet you. He said, great, come on up. So I went to a service up there in Riverside and uh, I got to meet him. I got to be alone with him in his office for about 15 or 20 minutes. Where he films all his videos? Journey. I think so. I think so. I mean, he's got he got a pretty big operation there, and yeah. it's actually growing again. They're building a whole second floor, and that he's got a hundred now, hundred catechumens right now. And that does not surprise me at all. It is a large operation. Uh, the rest of Riverside is Rough. the devil has the rest of Riverside, <laughs> that, but he's he's got that little beacon of light at least. And just talking about everything, like my journey through masonry and some of my questions about orthodoxy. And I said, you know, I still was like, how can I help the kingdom of God the best? Like, how, how do you think I should get this Mason book out there? Like, what, how do you think I can have the biggest impact and help the most people? And he said, well, first, I don't think you should publish it unless and until you become baptized Orthodox Christian. And so my first act of Orthodox obedience was not publishing that book as an inquirer or, or a catechumen. That's a hard one. I, I, I think I, I think I came home from my baptism and published it. I was so excited. But after that meeting with Father Josiah, I drove back down to that Greek church and I said, okay, I want to be a catechumen. You know, Father had convinced me, not just with the words he was saying. It wasn't even what he was saying to me. It was just who he is as a person. Yeah. It was his presence, his, his love, his joy, his zeal. I mean, I don't know if you've ever met him, but you feel like no. you're around an apostle. There's oh, something yeah. different in the air around that guy. Like he's just Inge glowing, something, something angelic. Definitely. Um, you know, the man has 10 kids. I mean, you, you learn a lot. You, you gotta be an You gotta be a saint if you have that many kids. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> it's just somehow who he was. And I remember, I distinctly remember thinking on the drive home, if this is the kind of man that orthodoxy turns you into, then I want to be orthodox because I want to be a man like that. So he was just a great role model and continues to be a great role model. You know, I've had the pleasure of seeing him in person on a few occasions since, and he actually met my wife back when we were just engaged. That's awesome. We went to the uh, Mother of God conference at his parish where Bishop Burene came to give a talk. Uh, Father Maximus Constus uh, recorded a, a lecture and sent it in. Lots of people were there. And so that was what really solidified it for me was meeting Father Josiah. As far as what solidified me on the conversion to Christianity in the beginning, it was just the feeling of of grace and the clicking together of the pieces that I was learning from those sermons, uh, from that Protestant. And then I felt like I'd gone as far as I could there, really. Um, and I, the more I studied the Bible, I started seeing things that the church was doing that weren't against what the Bible was saying. And I got very unsatisfactory answers about why that was happening. Well, That's when Bible I started to look it, for something more traditional. Know? No, no. I like I would say, well, they had female pastors there, for example. Well, well that Bible doesn't say and that. I said, <laughs> no, I said to the head. I said to the head pastor there, a well-known conservative Republican guy, rubs shoulders with Trump, all this stuff. I said, well, if you're a Bible-believing church, how can you have female pastors when the Bible says not to? And I wasn't trying to start a fight with him. I was just no, curious. Just... And he said, because it's my church and we do things my way here. And I thought that's a horrible answer. I'm going to look for something else. <laughs> now that wasn't my pastor that said that. That was the head pastor. 
So his terrible answer to that question was what spurred me to look at other things. Well, and I was talking to this guy on Facebook at the time, back years ago when I had Facebook, a guy who's now very famous on Gab named Neon Revolt. He was one of the main yep. Pew promoters who was baptized Orthodox. He was, he was a friend of mine for years. He's since blocked me because I don't believe in Q and UFOs. But he was actually the first person to mention Orthodoxy to me. We were just talking in private chat. He said, oh, you should look at Orthodoxy if you want something more traditional. And I said, what is that? Never heard of it. So I Googled it and there was a church four and a half minute drive from my house. Wow. That was the Greek church. Yeah. And I, I mean, he's kind of fallen away. I see him reading a lot of Protestant stuff. He's fully into this UFO aliens nonsense. I don't know how. Um, I think I think the Q stuff really screwed with his soul because he oh. was so deeply invested in it. And then to see to have it revealed that it was all just a big psyop. I don't I don't think he's moved through the phases of grief yet of accepting Gu that. Hey, I think he's Gu still stuck on it. I'm guilty. I was a big, big follower of that big Trumper. Big I was too. I was too. On. And you know, I had the, where we go one, we go all hat. And, mm -hmm. but it's weird as much as that stuff I've realized is a psyop. There's a, a good amount of truth in it, but mm. it distracts you from the truth of Christ, you know, because their, their yeah. savior, their savior is Q, their savior is yeah. Trump. And it's like, yeah, besides all the politics, nobody's going to save you, but Christ. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of truth and then pulls you into the dark side, which is what the yeah. devil very often does. Exactly. Right? All exactly. the Gnostics use the name of Christ, right? But, but they don't they use, use the, they use something nice to pull you away from the truth. Same with and like I don't the think new age he's Christ consciousness. Yet. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I like, pray oh, for we, him. I, I believe hope he they're comes like, back I believe in faith. Christ. We're like, well, which which Christ do you believe? The Mormons, we believe in exactly. Christ. And you mean the exactly. Christ where, whose brother was Lucifer and Heavenly Father came down and yeah. you know made love to heavenly mother. That's not the Jesus we believe in. <laughs> no. Did you see the interview I just did with uh, Jeremy Firth, the ex-Mormon? Yes, I did. That yeah. Was... I learned a lot about Mormonism from that interview. Do you know who Jeff Durbin is? Yeah. I tried yeah. to uh, debate him once and he never got back yeah. to me. So, I mean, we don't have to go into it, but he has some good stuff, you know, against Mormons, mm -hmm. but then even his stuff that he's debating, I'm still like, well, it's... well, I like that he has a, you need a third person in there. Athanasius, but he won't be Orthodox. Yeah. You yeah. know that, right? He's got a tattoo of oh, yeah. Athanasius on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. It's no, like you I need him, a, a Mormon, and an Orthodox priest all in the room. So he can yeah. debate the Mormon, and then the Orthodox priest can set him straight at the same time. I, I tried. I mean, I used to – so I briefly lived with a woman in my last apartment just because it was the landlord's daughter. She was just there because she had nowhere else to be. And her friend was a fan of um, Jeff Apologia. Durbin. She was one that recommended – yeah, she recommended I reach out and see if I can debate him, you know, because I was talking to her about orthodoxy and uh, they never got back. I tried. Never happened. Um, but I mean, I respect Jeff's character, like at, the way yeah. he can composes himself and, and debates with people, I think is very respectable. Um, so I, I had hoped for it. But maybe since I have this tiny little online ministry, I'm not a big famous person like him. Maybe he just didn't care or maybe just never yeah. saw an email. Who knows? I've always I've always thought that you or Jay Dyer would that would be uh That'd be quite interesting, you know? It would be. It would be. And I, I have a friend who is, um, he's a catechumen now. He just got his baptismal date. He left the Mormon church. You know, his his family's mm, Mormon. His Yeah, his family's Mormon. I think his grandfather or uncle was part of the Guild of 70 and, you know, like oh. really, really into it. And, you know, that's yeah. I, I was going to tell him to watch, watch your video because that's a great interview where he could maybe learn ways to, you know, tell his family and, who knows how people are, are going to react to that because, you know, we always joke and I'm sure he'll see this, but we yeah. always mess with him like, oh, well, you don't get your own planet now. So sorry. 
That's right. You know, maybe if I make a video calling out Jeff Durbin respectfully and nicely, maybe that would get his attention. Uh, I don't, uh, I've never heard him talk about orthodoxy, so I don't know what he. No, what he has that. a lot of views that are almost like they're like so close to being orthodox, and then mm -hmm. he just goes, and then he just goes back to you know, Bummer. sola scriptura. There, or, you know, there are some Protestants that have a great spirit that I think would make excellent totally. orthodox Christians. I don't know if you know. I think the guy's name is David and, Lynn. And the opposite. You know too, David right? Lynn. <laughs> you know that guy, David Lynn. I think it's his name. He's a black guy, a street preacher that just goes around like yes. preaching against transgenders yep. and gays but he's very like loving to them as he does it yeah he really has a good well he, he admits he well. admits that he's also the worst sinner you know like yeah yeah that guy would make you know? an awesome orthodox evangelist yeah so hopefully he'll become orthodox someday i, I like the uh, orthodox way of evangelizing i guess you could call it you know we're a little bit a little bit quieter and we, we we more so wait for people it seems to to come to us i've always been told you know we're supposed to talk about it. Obviously we're supposed to minister, but a lot of the times right. you gotta, you gotta wait for the right moment when someone brings it up to you. So what's this Orthodox thing? And we've, we've had plenty yeah. of friends, glory to God that have, you know, a friend of ours reached out yesterday and she posted a quote by uh, St. Paisios and she's mm -hmm. very, very new age and, you know, all that beautiful, beautiful person. And so my fiance said, are you thinking about becoming Orthodox? And she said, I'd be willing to attend a service. So we told her to go to a, a liturgy and we'll see. Nice. We'll see how that goes. Cause see, I've that... always wanted to like get a table at a mall and like, just have some icons set up and talk to people. Like, well, cause here's my logic. Planned Parenthood tables at malls, right? People walk by and they're hit with that propaganda. Why are we not there countering with our ne truth? Like right why are we allowing them? these people? Yeah. Why are we allowing them to take up space and territory where they can't hear the opposing side? I, I've always felt that we should be doing something like that. And you can table at a mall for free most of the time. They don't charge you. You just got to make sure no one else is using the space that day. Yeah. Um, so you could do that. Maybe that's just my, I mean, I, that's, I mean, I was a street canvasser for years, you know, talking to strangers on the street was something I usually enjoyed and was relatively good at, pretty good at even. Um, I'm sure yeah, I get could attacked just have an and icon that of, and stuff, but. You could just have an icon of Theotokos, an icon of Christ. Yeah. Just, you know, just chill and have some pamphlets candles. out. <laughs> Yeah. You know, most Orthodox churches in the narthex, they have all those little pamphlets explaining different things of the faith. Perfect. Just have that out. Say, hey, come and see, you know? Yeah, I think well, that would be colleges, awesome. Colleges, colleges do, that do that. Colleges do like the Orthodox yeah. Fellowship Committee, you know, where they walk, oh, around, they walk around campus. We have one here. I didn't know you had to actually be in college to do it because I was really interested in, mm. in doing something like that and, fi and filming it. I thought it would be, you know, interesting, yeah. obviously, obviously with a blessing. I'm not sure. How my spiritual father would yeah, feel yeah. about that. I'm not sure how mine would either. <laughs> mine, uh, my priest is awesome, super traditional, super orthodox. Doesn't want any sort of public attention, at least on himself. Cool. Um, so he's always he he errs on the side of caution, I think, with that sort of thing. Yeah. But he knows I have my ministry and whatnot, so you know, to each his own. So I think that um, we kind of going back to how. I, we, our friend got interested in it. I think what really sparked it for me was the rich tradition. And, you know, mm. a lot of the things that were, I was looking for in other religions and other denominations, and I've said this before, I felt like it was just, you know, every little piece of everything encompassed into, into one thing. So I think that's what helps people transitioning to being orthodoxy, orthodox. Although, it, like you said, seeing people bowing, kissing the icons can be a little off-putting. But I think after yeah. just a few times, you start to understand you know, the meaning. And I had a conversation with a girl yesterday who was trying to talk to me about praying to the saints, you know, and she could mm -hmm. not, she could not grasp the idea of 
how when we die, we're we're not separated from 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 God when we die. Exactly. Yeah. And she kept asking for you know scriptural evidence, and I sent her her verses and and stuff like that. Mm. She said, well, well, it doesn't say to pray to the saints, you know. And she kept kept going back to this whole thing where she couldn't grasp the idea. I said, well, you yeah. know, do you ask do you ask people at your church or your friends to pray for you? Right. Yeah. And you know, I said, do you kiss a picture, you know, of your grandmother? Yeah. It's you know, you know a like, lot of Protestants I've talked to when you when you talk about praying to the saints they always not always they often default to but the saints are dead so what yeah. they're saying is they don't actually believe in the gospel right yeah exactly they Which believe really in living to living when you hear them say it yeah right? when you hear them say they think dying in christ means that you're just dead it's like well yeah. then why do you go to church at all if you don't believe well, why, in the why do you pray to, why do you pray to god if he's not physically on earth yeah, right. You know? I mean, and to be fair to them, it's it's not like they've ever thought this through carefully. Like they're when we say when they see us praying the saints, asking for intercession, they're just reacting to it from their own yeah. programming. Like, I don't think they've gone through line by line and really tried to examine this and figure it out. Um, but then the ones that do, oh God willing, they'll become orthodox and realize that we're right. And it, it, what, the more you live it, the more sense it makes too. Like it's yeah. an experience in your in your noose, in your inner heart, more than something that your logic can. Can figure out by itself rationally. Yeah, it's um, it's like something our our, our uh, what is it? Our finite mind can't even understand yeah. that these icons are a window to heaven. You know, they're they're not yeah. just a moment in time; they're eternal. You know, it's something right. That, and and the more you yeah. experience it, the more sense it makes, and then you want to do it. Like I feel naked praying without icons now, whereas before it horrified me when I was first inquiring. And you learn more about you know. I didn't know who some of these saints were. I mean, I knew I had an icon of them. But now, you know, mm -hmm. you see one, you're like, I'm going to do a little bit more, uh, you know, research and reading on this saint. And then you, you know, you connect yeah. with that, that saint. And I think that's what also solidified the faith for me was like you mentioned um, with Father Josiah Trenum, seeing how he was, you're mm -hmm. like, if this is an example of the church, it's what I want. And I think that's the same thing we find with the saints and with the, you know, teachings of the elders. It's like, you know, if this person if this is, you know, a staple in the Orthodox faith, it's like, well, that's exactly where I want to be. Exactly. Well, I'm wondering if there's anything else we can touch on. I think we did, did pretty well. Is there anything that you want to want to tell anybody or I know, is it, uh, are you fasting as well right now? Uh, most of the time. Fast? I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie and say that I've been keeping it perfectly. Oh, same. <laughs> uh, I've had dairy a few times, you know, I went on a date with my wife last week and that's my biggest you know what, the restaurant biggest had one. some baked Mac and cheese and I was hungry and I, I went for it. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm mostly avoiding meat. You know, I did yeah. eat meat once at the beginning cause I was hungry at work. I didn't know what the cafeteria had yet. There was some like chicken Caesar salad thing. One of those like $3 refrigerated ones. I had that, but I am attempting to keep the fast. That's, um, I think that's another thing people need to realize is, you know, fast how you can, not how you can't, and not to, not to beat yourself yeah. up over it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's not a sin to break a fast. It's just depriving yourself of a helpful spiritual tool. So it might yeah. not be smart to break it, but it's not like God's going to punish you for not keeping it perfectly. I mean, and I think it's and the like cost. you said, pray as you can, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also usually it's certainly a bitter fast. the results of what happens when you break a fast. You know, if you let mm. the results of that affect other parts of your life, you know, whether it be lustful thinking or, or pride, yeah. it's like breaking a fast, like you said, I mean, it's not ideal. And I've done the same thing this one, 
luckily this isn't Lent. So, you know, Lent, uh, this is my first big fast as an Orthodox Christian. So Lent, I plan mm -hmm. on, I plan on really, but I mean, I'm like 130 pounds. So me, how me, you're 130. How tall are you? Something like that. Six, two or something like that. I'm bro. You got to eat a sandwich. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So me not eating meat for 40 days and I don't eat seafood. I don't like seafood most of the time, but that's why we're supposed to, but my spiritual father said, well, maybe that's why you need to eat it. You don't like it. Do it while you're fasting. Yep. Yep. Humble yourself. That's very orthodox. Yeah. <laughs> Do things you don't like. I know my wife's getting very sick of peanut butter on this fast. And I, I understand for some reason, this one's been tough for me food wise. Like usually for Lent, it's no problem. Well, you're also, great. you're also moving. You're not at a house where you can yeah. sit there and cook every night. It's like, you're probably running yeah. over the place. You're out and about. You're like, Oh, and living in this world doesn't help when you drive by a Wendy's or a Jimmy John's or. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my wife was feeling sick the other night. It was like one 30 in the morning. I went out to the gas station to get her some medicine, you know, and the guy, first thing I say, the guy says, when I walk in the clerk, he's like, Hey man, do you want a cheeseburger? I was like, get behind me, Satan. No. <laughs> so I just said to him, you know, that's not going to help my sick wife, but thank you for the offer. But of course, of course I want a cheeseburger. Who doesn't want a cheeseburger? Yeah. And then of course, after the fast, that's when every Orthodox Christian gets sick because they eat so much meat and cheese out, yep. of, out of joy. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing what I can. Yeah, same here. Someday I'll be better at it, maybe. Well, today uh, we also celebrate the conception of the Theotokos. That's right. So today, that's right. Is today, today is a feast day on a fast day. And I always find those very mentally confusing for me. You know, yeah. <laughs> by feast, they mean slightly fewer restrictions. Yes, exactly. Not, Maybe not what I think of when I hear the word feast. One more peanut butter and jelly sandwich today. Oh, yeah, so. I've had a lot of PB&Js this fast. <laughs> I don't know why it's getting to me this one. Well, it will. It will. Well, hey, I, I want to thank you for uh, yeah. for coming on and sharing your journey. And, you know, it was very edifying. And I encourage people to go get the book. And like you said, they can get it directly from you. I'll put all the links down in, in the description. And uh, oh, I need thank to get, you. I can email I need, those to you. Perfect. Yeah, I need to get a copy myself. So I'll be I'll be sending you a, a message and hopefully we can do this again in the future when the channel picks up. And I really appreciate it, man. Is there anything you want to want to leave us with? No, I just I appreciate the invitation. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a big fan of your Instagram channel. I share a lot thank of your you. posts. Glory to God. Um, I, I mean, I, I had never seen you before. Like I wouldn't have connected your name to the Orthodox logos, but I like the format of your posts. You know, it's Thank you. catches your attention. It's well formatted. I like those. So I, I hope and pray you'll keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, we can take up more internet space with Orthodox imagery. And the more we can I take so. over, the less room our enemies have to take yeah. over. Lord willing. Well, thank yeah. you again. And uh, we'll talk soon. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you so much. God bless. God bless.